0: Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer, and my guest this week is Suzanne Foxton. Welcome, Suzanne.
1: Thank you, Rick.
0: Um, First of all, somebody... Who's was a fan of yours, or something got in touch with me, and then you got in touch with me, and so we did this interview, and your fan said whoever she was i, I don't remember that um, there's something more juicy in the book you wrote that um than has been coming out in interviews so so maybe we'll get to that, but, but let's
1: <laughs> i think the, the the book is definitely juicier than anything that's actually seemed to happen to me okay. so, yeah.
0: <laughs> but um With apologies to uh, to listeners and viewers, or viewers in particular, um, Suzanne's video tends to freeze up from time to time, and hopefully it won't stay frozen. Um, But if you see a still shot of her for a while, we'll just continue on because we can't continually stop the interview just because the video freezes. Um, So you grew up in Indiana, as I understand. I did, and um, you now live in the UK. so, you. I, you married a Brit for some reason. Um, uh,
1: who knows why, but yes, I did.
0: <laughs> <laughs> How'd you meet him?
1: Uh, we met in San Francisco, uh, completely by mistake. I was uh, selling earrings at the time. I, I still do, actually. Mm-hmm. I'm wearing some now, my earrings and my thing. And uh, I saw a bartendress in a wine bar who, it's the 80s, mind you, big earrings she had on. And I thought, oh, I can sell her earrings. And he wandered in looking for the uh, theater next door to buy tickets, and we stopped and had a drink together, and he was late for his date, and uh, he um, that, that was it, and we've been together ever since, and that was in 1988.
0: Oh, cool. That's around the time I got married, 87. <laughs> um, turn your video off and on briefly, and we'll just keep talking while you do that. Um, so, And you have, what, two kids?
1: I do, I do. They're 14 and 16.
0: Okay. And... Uh, you, so you, you make earrings, and you, I'm asking you some rather <laughs> trivial, superficial questions, but it just gives people a sense, you know. Of what oh, you're... I love the
1: trivial and superficial. <laughs> okay. It's just extremely meaningful, and, and uh, I really like talking about it, actually.
0: Good. What does your husband do for a living?
1: Uh, he is an account manager for a software firm, okay. which is, you know, seems really, really dull, but uh, he's very good at it. He enjoys it. Huh.
0: Oh, that's great! I forget who said it, but someone—it might have been Steve Jobs or George Lucas or somebody—said, "If you love what you're doing, you don't work a day in your life."
1: Yeah, that's true. I think that he he does feel he works a day in his life, but he's still—he's quite good at it.
0: Yeah, let me just tell my wife something here. Um, I didn't feed the birds because we've we've run out of bird seeds. She said the birds are pecking at the window, asking for seeds, but we're totally out of seeds. I'm afraid we have to get some.
1: You see, you've made them dependent upon you. I know a bunch of
0: little <laughs> avian junkies out here. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of junkies, I guess you had a bit of a, a colorful history with drugs and stuff, right? You talk about that in and, uh, and your yeah, yeah, I did, and
1: I think that. Um, Addiction and addictive sort of uh, tendencies or activities is just another kind of seeking. Mm. You know, I always say I was never a traditional seeker, but, you know, in a way, everything that one seems to do, every uh, activity the ego engages in is some kind of seeking. And uh, I suppose um, addiction is just sort of uh, a very strong example of, of seeking, of, of not being okay with however things are. They either have to be better, or they have to be less painful, or even if they're fantastic, they have to be even better, Uh, they just have to be different. There's no sort of this, uh, I don't know, like mindfulness speak of, you know, being in the moment and, you know, just being completely accepting of everything that's going on. Mm. And I don't think that's really, you know, what non-duality is about. I don't think non-duality is necessarily about any one particular thing. But those kind of concepts and pointers seem to come up a lot, that people are not content and they are forever seeking, and I think it's just, you know, probably part of the human condition. But, you know, with something like addiction, uh, it can get very destructive.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, when you think about it, the whole human race has been pretty much obsessed with changing their state of consciousness throughout recorded history, you know, through every possible means that, that they can find.
1: Yes, it's true. and the, that's part of it, I'm sure, and it's part of uh, the behavior of many seekers is to uh, to try to achieve some state of bliss, you know, to feel really, really good, not just kind of good, but totally good, you know, yeah. so good that you are everything, and you're out of the and everything is completely wonderful, and and I think that that's great, and sometimes that comes up. Uh, and sometimes it comes up from taking some kind of substance, but sometimes it can come up, you know, out of the blue or it can come up from a meditative state or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, if that's the only thing you want, if that's the only thing your ego craves, then you're sort of missing out on deeply fulfilling negative states. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and it, it's all just pointers and concepts, but uh, I've come to, uh, you know, to the set of concepts that say that uh, life is everything, it's set up exactly the way it's meant to be, and you're meant to have some, you know, not very nice feelings, and, and things happen, and and that is just the way that it is, and and but that's not a bad thing. It's, there's nothing wrong with that.
0: Yeah, um, turn your video off and on again while I ask this next question. Um, it's interesting you know, as you were talking. I was thinking, well. In a way, you can't blame people for wanting to change the way they see the world because it can be fairly um, unfulfilling, as you were just saying. And so there's a kind of a natural craving for it to improve upon it. On the other hand, in, in non-dual and, and spiritual teachings, there's always this admonition to just, uh, this is it. you know. I mean, what you see is what you get. Just kind of like uh, love what is and so on. Uh, so there's kind of a paradox there, and, and a lot of people might find that Advice a little bit hard to swallow because they find what is to be quite unlovable.
1: Mm. Well, I suppose that uh, the the whole thing about making oneself feel better and needing to have whatever it is be lovable, maybe that's a bit of uh, you know more mistaken than most concepts. Uh, It's not you know necessarily liking or loving. bad, you know, apparent bad circumstances and bad feelings. It's more like um, relishing them and uh, just uh, seeing them as a neutral thing and not necessarily a bad thing. But I do remember, you know, when I was just uh, about three years ago, all these things were sort of apparently gelling and uh, I was sitting in the back of my house at our, our picnic table it's a very still day, it's kind of grey and cloudy, like it often is here in the UK. And, I, and I'm like, this is enough, is it? This is enough? This is really, really boring. I just I can't see how this is enough. It was a momentary thing, mm-hmm. and it was enough, it was enough, you know. Uh, the next apparent instant, uh, I was you know, just walking and going across my yard and going back into the house. And the cut side of a robin, and yada yada, nature, nature, and the old, you know, fascination, and so it just, you know, and the apparent unfolding story that seems to happen in time. If you seem to be stuck in that, you wait long enough, it'll change. You know, you wait if it's horrible, you wait long enough, it'll change into something that's not horrible anymore.
0: That's true. I mean, and turn your video on and off, um, and like, but it, there is sort of a natural human tendency, is there not, to um Want to improve things, to want to make things better. Like this morning, for instance, I woke up with a slight headache, and I still have it. And I'd rather not have the headache, but I can live with it, you know. However, a friend of mine recently broke his back, and he's in the, like excruciating agony, uh, and you know, for most, you know, he says like you know, fist clenching, white knuckle, teeth gritting, pain most of the day. And uh, obviously, I mean, if we had our druthers we would choose not to be going through a thing like that. So how do you kind of reconcile that with the notion of you know just accepting everything as it is?
1: Well, uh, I don't know that, uh, I'm not really sort of advocating this sort of conscious, willful, grasping, acceptance, I'm going to accept this kind of thing, uh, it, it's more of an organic thing, I suppose, what I'm talking about, but hey, you know, um, there's absolutely nothing wrong. With wanting something to be better, wanting pain to go away, uh, you know the way that we seem to be manifesting. Uh, you want, it, it's all a dream, sure, but you know the way the dream seems to be coming out is that we are these biological creatures that need to survive, and you know pain is is you know part of the whole survival packet of tools. And if you feel pain, something's wrong. And if you can get rid of the pain, then it's better again. You have more chance of surviving. Uh, so you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with with that. Uh, and, and I don't think that it's necessarily preferable to sit back and just act, totally accept everything. And, and uh, for instance, one of the times I get into conflict with my husband about all these sets of concepts is that he's very ambitious and he want, he's always very much into improvement. And a lot of the things talk about it does very much sound like you're just going to sit back and be a couch potato, you know, and do nothing. And it's not that necessarily at all. Uh, it's much more being open to everything, and then all sorts of possibilities can happen and open up, and potentialities can <clears throat> appear to unfold in the story of life. That maybe if you are a little, if you have too much of a, a set and narrow goal, you won't see these opportunities and these doors and and windows and potentialities. Uh, so I think it's more of a maybe more of an openness rather than sort of a willful no matter what happens, I'm going to accept it in a Job-like fashion. I know that's probably mm. not exactly what I'm talking about.
0: Yeah. I'll tell you what, as a <clears throat> as a um, standard practice during this interview, every time I ask a question, turn your video on and off, unless, <laughs> I, unless <laughs> I tell you not to do so, because <laughs> okay. it, it keeps freezing up, but it's good for a little bit. Um, so uh, yeah, just keep that as a reminder. Every time I ask a question, go ahead. Okay, and Okay, sure, sure. I just did. It. Hopefully, it's all right. <laughs> no, it's now. working again now. Okay. Um, so this brings up an interesting point, which um, I've thought about a lot uh, over the years, and which you know has I've kind of worked out in my own experience over the years, and and that is that there's this there can be this sort of paradoxical, simultaneous, complete acceptance and non-insistence that things happen in any particular way with simultaneously uh, a sort of a, you know, driving ambition if that's how you're wired. And the two are not um, counter-opposed. Do you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I don't think they're necessarily mutually exclusive at all. Right. Whatever seems to be happening is what seems to be happening. If you seem to be wired up a certain way, that's the way you seem to be wired up. You could go to a lot of trouble, try to recondition yourself, blah, 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 that's okay, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, uh, as I've said you know, before, I, just, in this interview and many others, I just don't think there's anything wrong, necessarily, with anything. I mean, in the character Suzanne, there are quite a few things that are wrong for for me to do. But in the whole big sort of picture of everything manifesting, I don't think there's anything wrong, including people who are very greedy, even. You know, people are very, you know, driven. Um, I mean, I would like to see more people driven to succeed at certain tasks for their own sake, rather than to make sure they get more and more money and more than other people and keeping it from other people, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That would be a preference that arises. But, no, I don't think they're mutually exclusive Um, I think that often people who are on this kind of a spiritual path or whatever it is, that it happens for them in many different ways. And oftentimes they go from being a a very repressed, timid, um, non-confrontational person to being quite the risk taker. And often that goes hand in hand with accomplishing all sorts of goals and tasks. And it's not, you know, people who are Buddhists who are very intense and, and... and intent upon um, completing their training are extremely driven, they're very, very motivated and incredibly ambitious, you know? yeah. <laughs> even if the ambition has to do with you know, where that ambition is coming from, how you conceptualize the ambition, whether the ego is the thing that it happens to or not, and that kind of thing, mm. but you know, I, don't, no, I don't think that goes, you know, being completely accepting and being quite driven, I don't think that they're mutually exclusive at all.
0: Good. I want to come back to this because there's some interesting things that I've uh, considered when listening to your audio recordings that I want to talk to you about. But let's go back a bit more and, and kind of talk about your own sort of uh, watershed moment. Um, you you were, you know... I. I haven't heard too much detail about your whole drug and addiction phase. and I don't know if we need to go into that. But then, you, in, in, in telling your story, you kind of skip to this point where you're standing in a kitchen and you look at a knife, and then and, and suddenly the whole, <laughs> the whole your whole world changes. Um, so fill us in a little bit on on you maybe the prior to that um, watershed moment and uh, and uh, leading up to it, and then the, you know, that moment itself.
1: Um, well, you know. The best way to describe that is first of all, put a big caveat in front of it, saying it, it wasn't really very important. And the reason it wasn't really very important is that uh, in the way stories seem to unfold, many different things happen in many different ways. And I think for many people, it's a very gradual kind of awakening if you want to use that kind of term. And I wouldn't say that I was awake, uh, awakened, or an awakened person, or enlightened, or whatever the label is we're using today. On a, what is it, Saturday afternoon, <laughs> my time, whatever the thing it's okay to say is right now. Uh, but I would say that um, the reason it was such a big deal, and I did have a little sort of a phenomenology around it, whereas it a bit like tripping, I suppose, where the, the knife just seemed, you know, like whoa, man, what is a knife? It's such a knife, you know, but. That was very brief and and unimportant. The the reason it was such a big deal is I realized that I had had the right state of mind the whole time. Mm -hmm. I I, had been in enlightenment, awakening, or I wasn't using that terminology at the time. What I realized is that what I had been looking for was this life, exactly as it is, Mm -hmm. not any different. I didn't need to, to make it any different. I didn't need to make it anything at all. And that is sort of the, the ego-death part, I suppose. So
0: that, And that includes all your darker, addictive phases, you're saying oh, that, well, no, yeah. no uh, need, that those are perfect as they were.
1: Absolutely. Okay. Um, you know, people, uh, particular teachers and, and, and persons who are seekers and all, all kinds of people, actually, are, are very keen on relieving suffering. Mm-hmm. They're very, very much... Um, that is their uh, big deal. That is what they want to do. That is their big goal. That they're very driven to achieve is to relieve suffering. And, uh, however, without all the suffering that apparently came up in my life, which is only just a little memory spark of something or other that's happening right now, um, it, it's it's you know it, it's not real. But uh, all that suffering. Uh, I wouldn't have had anything to compare this to. Uh, it, me, life is everything, and um, um, suffering came up. I, I wouldn't trade it. I, if I could go back, and, and you know, if I had you know that, that imaginative opportunity that many writers use to relive your life, how would you rewrite your life? I wouldn't rewrite it I, I, at all. Um, I and mean, there's probably a couple of specific incidents where I was very unkind to other people that I would. Probably wish went differently, but as a generally, I wouldn't rewrite it because um, that suffering was was as it should be. And, and you know, if you sort of just looked at the story of my life, you know, quite in a detached way, I mean, it makes a great deal of sense that that happened that way, and then it makes a great deal of sense that now I would be in a you know apparently much better place and much happier and content, and, and blah blah blah. Although that isn't always the case either.
0: Well, if you do manage to go back, I would suggest that you play the stock market with today's information. That would be- yes, that's
1: right. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Send me a cut. I um- know <laughs> yeah, the Back to the Future too. Is don't f- yeah. don't
0: forget to turn your video back on again after you turn it off. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. Um, so, uh, but then again, I mean, if one of your kids has the flu and is feeling horrible. You don't just think to yourself, oh, this is going to be good for them because they'll feel so good when it's over. You do whatever you can to ameliorate it, you know? That's
1: right, that's true. Yeah. Though I do make them work quite hard sometimes, knowing that when that's over they will feel much better afterwards. Yeah, yeah. They finish folding this astronomically high pile of clothes or whatever, when they finish hoovering the entire house or whatever ridiculous task I set for them.
0: Yeah. One thing that came to my mind, so I think you haven't talked about this knife incident enough, because I'm familiar with it, because I listen to your videos a lot, but um, other people might not know what exactly you're talking about. But what you were saying was that, um, you know, you, out of the blue, without really having much background as a spiritual seeker or anything, you had this kind of uh, awakening or shift.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't know that that's what it was at the time. Um, I just thought that I'd finally come to my senses, uh, that's probably a, the, what language I would have put it, right afterwards, uh, I was walking around the kitchen going, oh, this is just so obvious, it's so obvious, it's so obvious, and what was obvious was that my life is what I had been looking for, there was nothing I had, had to change. And um, But because I had, you know, I had some phenomenology that, that went around it, and some sort of Physical weirdness that, that went around it, and I was just thinking, "Why well, am I having flashbacks to things I may have done at university?" I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, things. I felt like it was coming up out of the top of my head from time to time. I felt like I was seeing things from over here, maybe like my eyes were over here, or um, that would generally happen. I was quite tired as well, so um, it's probably just because uh, I, I don't know why. It was it doesn't really matter. Um, but you know that because of that, I, I needed to. My 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 mind, my my brain, my little scared bit of my ego needed to have some labels to put on it. So I did a little looking around. I uh, went to see Tony Parsons because he's quite nearby, mm-hmm. as it seemed, and and so I got some labels. And so that's that's how what I labeled it afterwards.
0: Well, probably the labels were appropriate. I mean, it was some sort of spiritual awakening or shift or. You know, whatever terminology you're you're good with, mm-hmm. uh, seems to have been what it was. i mean, judging from what you, the way you've been talking and writing ever since then, right? Sure, sure. Yeah, and those do happen to people quite spontaneously, often without, oh, not often, but sometimes without any kind of uh, uh, proclivity toward that sort of thing. You know, previ- I think previously. It,
1: it yeah. seems to be the the case. Um, And I know there are many people who are very traditional and they um, are very much into practice and feeling the the layers of the ego um, through meditation and through, you know, maybe devotion to a guru or teaching, certain teachings, and um, feel that that's the only way to achieve this kind of uh, state of mind or whatever it is, a lack of state of mind or whatever it is. Who knows? Um, But I think that, you know, practice is often just life as it is presented. Uh, Everybody has their own practice, and it is just the way their life unfolds for them. That is their practice.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm very traditional in the sense that I've been meditating for decades, but I wouldn't say it's the, I'm not fundamentalist about it, I wouldn't say it's the only way. Obviously there are people who have what you had, you know, and many such stories, you know. I've interviewed several people like that who just out of the blue just kind of woke up and uh, didn't uh, and, and often thought they were going crazy at first until they could somehow get a little bit of you know intellectual re- uh, reinforcement or you know just you know, what, what, whatever word i 'm searching for explanation for it yeah yeah yeah
1: I just yeah, I needed a couple of labels, something to call it uh, because I just felt as if it was uh, you know it just felt a bit strange
0: <laughs> uh, I suspect that there are people in mental hospitals who have had genuine spiritual awakenings and they and their people and the people around them thought they were going crazy and locked them up.
1: Well, it's very possible.
0: Put them on Thorazine or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah,
1: it's very possible, certainly. The weirdness, though, for me, has seemed to uh, uh, subside, Mm. and I I feel quite at home, and and, uh, I know lots of different teachers say this, but it's just very ordinary, and people just don't believe it. Enlightenment, waking, whatever it is, ordinary life—it's just a mundane, ordinary. The dream, the thing that we're calling the illusion of life, the dream—that's that's what it is. That that's it. Um, the people, and, and it's just ex- your life, your perceptions, your judgments, your labeling, your thoughts, your not being able to meditate, your over meditate, whatever it is—that's that's what it is. Um, and but, and it's people don't believe it. They just they don't believe it. They think they've got to work real hard, they got to be different, or there's something wrong with them, they feel unworthy, um, and they, they're not, you know, mm. they don't. It, it, oneness does not get any wonder <laughs> you know, uh, while you're meditating, and it doesn't, you know, everything doesn't become a little better at being everything because you and your little ego have managed to peel away another layer or whatever.
0: Maybe the whole issue of wanting it, or expecting it to be flashy um, har- kind of relates back to what we were saying in the beginning about um, you know not being satisfied with your experience as it is and wanting to change it in some way, and so there's this sort of wishful anticipation that. It could be such. It could be so, life. Could be so much more gloriously profound and amazing <laughs> than it is. Than my than me, me having to get up in the morning, going to work, and you know, blah, and dealing with the boss and whatnot. People kind of are looking for some, you know, walking on water, angels singing kind of experience.
1: Well, that kind of stuff can come up too. Um, yeah. But yeah, that getting up and having breakfast with the husband, and, and that's amazing. You know. It it really is, but it's difficult if you're sort of in a humdrum routine. It's just difficult to uh, to say it, to see it that you know, all every moment is created new, every moment is completely new, and it's never exactly the same. Everything is just what we you know sort of our senses bring us as reality. It's just uh, it is in constant total flux an endless moment that is never, ever the same and the, the foot's never in the, the same place and you never put your foot down the same, two different, you never have the same breakfast with your husband, it's all completely, totally brand new, reborn in every apparent new second and that's what's amazing mm-hmm. um, and it, it, you don't have to have some sort of shift of perception to, to see that, I really don't think it, it. just, you know, the people have the right state of mind and perception already that, that they don't believe it.
0: Although there is such a thing as conditioning, you know? I mean, the routine, humdrum, repetitive experiences of life can sort of, you know, don't forget to change your video, can sort of dull or, or you know, occlude one's perception. And uh, what you apparently experienced was was a shift in which conditioning no longer had the same grip on you that it, it ordinarily has on people. In other words, it's sort of like... You know, there's in, in the Indian tradition, there's this analogy of, you know, if you make a mark on stone, it, it really etches in there and stays. If you make a mark on sand, it, you, you see the mark, but it goes away. If you make a mark on water, it goes away real easily. If you make a mark on air, you don't even see the mark and it, it, nothing stays. So and that, that's used to illustrate different degrees of conditioning and susceptibility to conditioning that different people have. and the, And the enlightened person is supposed to be one who is like, you know, like the line on air, it's just uh, the experience is there, but nothing sticks.
1: Yeah, I think I know what you mean. Um, well, that's, that's a really good analogy, I should read more, but, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know, um, your conditioning comes up. I still have conditioning, I suppose, but I don't care. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it would be, you know, the water, does air. It doesn't bind you. No, it doesn't, you know, it, the outcome of it, I, I don't care. You know, I, I mean, I do. I mean, I want my children to stay healthy and well. Blah blah blah, all that sort of stuff. Sure. All that stuff related to survival—that still comes up. Conditioning still comes up. But you know, so what? It—it uh, it doesn't. I'm not invested in it so much, I suppose, anymore. i, I don't. My persona isn't the only thing I am anymore. It, it's whatever happens. To that persona is—it's not a, a big deal. Um, I can, you know, I I would probably prefer us not to lose all our money and have to move and not being able to put our children through school, blah, 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 but if that kind of thing happened, then I I know that oftentimes these kind of things happen, and the unfolding story is that you grow and learn, blah, 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 so, you know, whatever happens, uh, I truly believe that I, being my small little little self, little persona, will be fine. Uh, it, It doesn't really matter, and I think that's the difference, you know, the... I'm not invested in the outcome of the story anymore,
0: yeah, well, there's plenty of references to that sort of thing in the traditional you know scriptures too. They talk about you know that you don't live for the fruits of action you you just sort of you have control over the moment alone and never over the fruits of action, so you just act in such a way spontaneously that you're not attached to the outcome and and that's set, you know considered to be a, a healthier way of functioning.
1: makes sense to me, um,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's, there's something I thought a lot about a lot when I was listening to you which has kind of been on my mind anyway recently um, and actually you didn't need to change the video that time I'll leave it alone long. for a while you just tell me from now <laughs> I'll on I'll tell you ordinarily you do every time I talk but um, that was such a brief interlude that you didn't okay. um, but in any case um, it's it's sort of like I was interviewing um, Gangaji's husband a couple weeks ago, I guess I shouldn't identify him that way because he has his own identity, <laughs> Eli Jackson Bear, and he, he quoted something that uh, his teacher, Papaji, had said, which is, uh, as I recall, don't land anywhere. And t- we, were, we were discussing that in the context of not kind of locking yourself into any particular perspective as being the absolute truth or the absolutely right one to the exclusion of all others. Um, and the reason I think of that is, uh, in listening to you is that you, you're pretty good, I think, at, at kind of shifting around between different perspectives. On the one hand, I've heard you articulate that uh, that ultimately nothing is happening at all and never has. And then and, and another time you might say, um, everything's perfect just as it is. Uh, and then another time you might say, well, yeah, but I've got this situation with my kids or whatever that I need to deal with. <laughs> and and my, my attitude on all, all that, is that um, no one of those can be kind of uh, you know uh, adhered to to the exclusion of the others, paradoxically opposed as they may be. Th- it's it's kind of the best approach is to take the whole big package and accept them all as as being valid, each in their own realm.
1: Yeah, I, I think that um, well, mind does have a lot of trouble. The mind in general has trouble with um, uh, opposing concepts. Um, happening or appearing to happen simultaneously or in the same sphere mm-hmm. um, and wants to chop them and change them and categorize them and subcategorize them and, and make them you know uh, make sense have them all very neat and tidy and figured out and of course uh, that's impossible and uh, yeah I like the I like the, uh, the analogy don't land anywhere and I find my own writing about uh, non-duality or whatever and uh, it's it, changes and morphs all the time um my mind kind of goes over here to there's nothing happening like it's like a big different concept but it 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 isn't you know even though there seems to be lots happening um it makes perfect sense to me that there is you know there is really nothing happening and um i, I see all this around and the eyes seeing the here's here and all that but i also perceive somehow that it's it's not there at all that there's there's no space and and really and there's it's like on the head of a pin or the the point of a pin or smaller than that and mathematically uh non-existent and uh you know the big cosmos the same as, as the microcosm uh the atom, and blah, blah 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 all that all those sort of analogies and i almost my mind's put that over here and but you know it, it doesn't matter uh Uh, This whole thing about coming back to the marketplace, having had some sort of awakening or whatever, and then jumping back into life, diving in and really being able to enjoy the unfolding of the story is kind of where I'm at, Mm -hmm. you know.
0: Yeah, there's those uh, Zen pictures of, you know, the ox herding pictures. I don't know if you've ever looked at those, but they depict the various stages of the path. And, and uh, you know, in the final one, the guy is back in the, in the marketplace riding the ox and, you know, completely integrated with the world, whereas previously there was a picture where there was absolutely nothing there, you know, <laughs> <and> <laughs> various other <laughs> stages.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, if there's been an unfolding, we might have all kind of kind of mish together and maybe out of order and, and out of sequence a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, I just feel like um, I, I'm th- there is, seems to be less judgment about things, including my own attitude towards life or whatever. I don't feel like, oh, I must be this way, or I must not be this way, or I must only say this kind of thing, or I must never say this, or uh, whatever. Um, so, with that kind of freedom, I've been able to just, you know, really, if there's a problem with the kids, I can kind of really jump in there. And and, you know, analyze it and get in and what'd be the best thing to do and you know, really yeah. en- enjoy trying to fix it and rather than saying, Oh my god, oh this is all so wrong, it's all terrible, oh what's gonna happen? Ugh, you know.
0: Yeah. And I mean if one of your kids mm. runs in and says, Johnny's up in a tree and it looks like he's gonna fall, you don't just say, Oh, there is no tree, there is no Johnny
1: <laughs> <laughs> Depending on how how mad I was at Johnny actually. Yeah, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's no tree. Johnny's not gonna fall. You just go play over there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, I heard you allude to physics several times during some of your talks, and um, I find that to be a really helpful stru- uh, metaphor or uh, structure of uh, understanding for deal- for coming to terms with what we're talking about right here, which is that you know I mean the physicist will tell you that life is structured in layers, and that obviously on on one layer we have. You know, paper, and go deeper, and it's carbon molecules, and go deeper than that, and it's atoms, which bear no resemblance to paper, and keep going down, and there's no atoms, and and you go down to a point where there's actually nothing of any substance whatsoever, and that you could say that's the ultimate reality, but um, the the laws of that level don't, you know, um, pertain to the laws of this level. You know, you can't light a fire on that level by you know striking a match. So. Uh, but all these levels are like the Chinese, the Russian dolls, contained one within the other, and each has its own sort of uh, its own realm and its own significance. And and the spiritual realm, I think, is very, very similar to that, where you're kind of you, you've inc- incorporated a, a vast range of of creation within your experience, including the range, the level at which nothing is happening, including the level at which everything is perfect, including the level at which damn it, this needs to be changed, <laughs> you know, it all kind of fits into one big package.
1: Yeah, it, it, I, I really truly believe that that's true, that it does, and you know, but uh, I'm not going to hold on to that belief system necessarily either. Um, yeah, and I, I find myself less and less concerned with, see, there, there isn't anything there, I won't say that I'm egoist or whatever, but there isn't anything there that needs reassurance. You know, there isn't anything there that, that feels lost. Right. Uh, there isn't anything there that, that needs to know that, you know, everything's going to be okay and, and things are a certain way. And, and it, there just isn't anything there that needs that at all.
0: Mm-hmm. Mother is at home.
1: <laughs> yeah, something like that.
0: Did your family notice much of a change in you? Uh, oh, well,
1: gosh, yeah. I mean, I'm much more. There and I'm, you know, much I, you know, helped them much more. I suppose I'm, I'm reliable now and.
0: <laughs> the new improved I, mom.
1: Well, yeah, absolutely. And then I, I wrote a book and it got published and I'm actually earning a little bit of money and you know, and I'm talking to people and um, you know, I have coffee mornings once a month. to have in touch with people because a friend of ours died recently, one of the mums in the neighborhood and, mm-hmm. and I wanted to make sure that everybody. This is one of the best things I do, frankly, is these coffee mornings, just, you know, they're, because they're the primary school level mums and everybody's at secondary school now, what we call high school in America. Uh, we just don't see each other very much and we just get in touch, and, you know, so I'm doing that kind of thing. And, you know, but mind you, I mean, when I was sort of not very well and, you know, uh, definitely, you know, had, not only you know having addiction to substances, but you know doing things addictively. I was a chairperson PTA. I was crazy busy. You know, I was, mm. but you know, it was it was not uh, terribly present for it. I suppose I was just sort of running around like a crazy freak doing stuff. Yeah. And uh, so um, you no, know, I'm just you know I'm much more involved and you know uh, I hear lots of talk flying around in the non-dual community if there is such thing about, it's okay, um, all this talk about enlightenment um, and being very spiritual, but, you know, are you, what are you doing about your relationships? How intimate are you with, with people? How how risky are your relationships? How willing are you to be honest with other people? And uh, how much are you are willing to invest of the apparent time, effort, and energy that seems to come up right, in, into the people in your life, and I think that that's, that kind of hits the head, the nail on the head for me just at the moment. Uh, I find that the biggest difference in my family is that I'm able to be very intimate with them, and I'm able to um, not fear them in any possible way, and, and it, 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 it makes life a very different kind of unfolding uh, one that I definitely prefer, but that, that I don't. I'm not saying that that's the way it, it should it should be or must be or whatever.
0: Mm-hmm. So you're saying that um, in the non-dual community, people are kind of coming to recognize that it's not enough to sort of have a non-dual sort of realization, but there needs to be an embodiment of it and an integration of it into practical life. Is that what you're alluding to?
1: Yeah, integration. I think is the word that I saw flying around recently. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that's good because you don't need to change your video this time because you haven't chosen yet. But I think that's good because um, there are a lot of people—not a lot, but some—well-known voices who who seem to insist that there is no practical ramification whatsoever of spiritual awakening. It's not; it has no bearing on your relative life. But what you've just described and what many people describe is that, yeah, it's enhanced it a lot. It's made life a lot smoother, more enriched it in various ways.
1: Well yeah, I mean I wouldn't say that I wouldn't proscribe that there is, you know, integration must then be the next step if you've had some sort of awakening, blah blah. Right, right. And but you know, it just this seems to be the case to me and on my sort of ego self, little self, whatever is it resonates with that kind of you know, reading and, and those kind of concepts just right at the moment. And uh yeah, I understand that, um, I, you know but I would go along with also, but there isn't really a practical application uh, there isn't anything that you're supposed to do next, but that just seems to be the, the case I mean and it seems to make it seems to be you know a, a microcosm of of everything with your little personal relationships in a small circle um, if you are being as intimate, honest blah 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 with those people that are closest to you in your life. Uh, then that they are less other. Um, And that, you know, if you're getting as close to people as you can within the the, uh, limitations of the body and the mind and, you know, the separate apparent package, then that's like a a microcosm for the big oneness or whatever. And so that's what seems to be happening.
0: Well, you know, there's the old golden rule of um, do unto others as you would unto yourself. And uh, some people say that's not really a a prescription, but a description, actually, of, Mm-mm. you know, if, if others are, are, are appreciated as the self, <laughs> you know, <laughs> then naturally there's going to be a, a much deeper intimate um, relationship with them and, um, c- and compassion for them, and so on.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's chicken and egg, it could be the way around, I suppose. Um, one way is practice, I am going to treat these people, as, and then the other one is that if the people really are seeming to be less other, then you just naturally do that yes
0: yeah good point don't, don't need to change your video this time um it's uh yeah i like that that it's it could both be chicken or egg it, it, it can be a, a laudable practice and could perhaps culture greater you know humanity or soft softness of heart or whatever and it also can be descriptive of a spontaneous natural state that one can ha- not help but act in accordance with
1: yeah um i mean if you're going to if the unfolding story seems to be about conditioning and, and training and, and practice, and that's a good one to do, why not? Why not recondition your, your small self in that way?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, your, your video's still okay. Actually, no, it froze this time. So, um, <laughs> so you, you, apparently you write reams and reams of stuff on your blog. And you know, oh, whatever. less
1: less these days. But yeah, there's probably about two hundred fifty thousand words on there. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I heard you say that, and it kind of discouraged me from trying to read any of it. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, just pick and choose, pick and choose. It's all begin. the same thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, uh, so what do you write? What is it all? Um, oh, well, it's all, I mean, these days I kind of have to be sparked off by something. I might see on Facebook, or I mean, mm-hmm. somebody says to me... And then um, I get a concept going. or and, and I also have to have a film clip now, I've decided. And also a, to make a picture that I do myself. So it, it takes a while. It's about once a month I update it. Um, but, I mean, it's just generally saying exactly what we're saying here, over and over again with different pointers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, I, get, I go on to one that when I was first writing, I was like, oh, it all seems to be, it doesn't seem to make much sense, you know, the the thing about uh, those mutually exclusive concepts where I just, I felt, you know, quite adrift. And, and then you can see the whole thing, you sort of chart the, the journey or the apparent journey I've had through the, the blog and the pointers and whatnot. And uh, now it's more much more about uh, um, picking on concepts that might be a little bit limiting, that seem to be a bit limiting, uh, because that, like we mentioned earlier, that you question everything. Don't land anywhere. N- never think you've got it. You think you got it? You haven't got it. You know, keep, keep, always question everything. You know, mm. every time you think that that you you this is it, then it you, you probably isn't. And just you know, so the, that's kind of what the blog's about is to to keep questioning and keep, you know, keep the whole thing rolling.
0: That's nice. I like that. Uh, there's a well-known teacher who often says we should always have the attitude of a beginner and says that even to, you know, people you would consider to be rather advanced. Um, and I think that's the implication that there's there's always fresh ground to break and so, you know, don't rest on your laurels. <laughs> keep questioning.
1: Gosh, I, I would so agree with that. I mean, that just seems to be what what arises. What arises with me is uh, that sort of... um. Oh, there's pretty birds flying right up there. Oh, feed them for uh, <laughs> <by> me. <laughs> Those seagulls—they feed themselves. Oh, okay. And uh, uh, the um, oh gosh, I was distracted by the birds. Well,
0: you okay, you say that's what's arising for me. I was saying about uh, always having the attitude of a beginner, and you. Kind of oh like yeah, that.
1: yeah. And um, the more I know, the less I know. Uh, hmm. Seriously, um, the the more. But you know, it's all sort of a big opening, and and. Expanding in many ways, but in many ways, it's a a bit of a narrowing and a contracting, even though that's supposed to be an aftermath to all this. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, being I I, I spend quite a lot of time um, with a very set routine in my house with my writing and then my housework, and then I do go pick up the children, and you know, it's all quite da 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 da. da. Um, I know that it's time in my life when that's. kind of the thing. But you know, it's quite a contracted life. It's it's uh and I spend lots of time in my head where you're not supposed to be, uh not present and aware in this moment at all, but composing or editing or or writing uh, the second book and, you know, completely not here at all. And it's that's supposed to be not what you're supposed to do, but you know, who cares? Well, who, who said? Yeah. <laughs> you just but you hear a lot, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah, right. So but um and uh, and so I would have thought, oh, you know, some time ago, I probably would have thought, oh, I must do that. But now it's like, well, that's just what's what's happening, that's what is rising now, I don't know everything, there isn't any particular way I'm supposed to be, I guess, and yeah. that's just what's happening now.
0: I mean, you're a bit of a rebel, so screw whatever <laughs> whatever anybody says you're supposed to do.
1: You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, me, I'm a rebel. Yeah.
0: Oh. Um, so, so writing for you has not just been a kind of an instructive thing, like, oh, I have this knowledge to impart to others. It's really been a self-exploration, it sounds like.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, the book, the, the, it's a novella. It's quite short. Mm-hmm. But it started out as a screenplay. It's about that thick. It would have been a four-hour movie. And then I changed it into musical. And I, you know, most because I wanted the exercise of songwriting. This is all during therapy. It was all therapeutic stuff.
0: This is pre awakening knife episode, or this uh, it's, it's kind of on
1: on the around that time. It's all okay. on the way to it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And um, and then, uh, I mean, I had all this material. I, I enjoyed writing music. I had terrible software It was very difficult. I could hear everything in my head. I could separate parts even, but actually getting them down on paper is quite tricky, especially since I know the treble clef. But that was great. And then you know the thing happened, and I had all this material, and I also felt like I needed in the story of my life, as it seemed to be arising, blah, 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 what seemed to be required was some kind of a, a punctuation, you know, period, uh, an, an end, da-da. And so I, I changed all this material into a book, and I hacked, and I chopped, and I got rid of so much material, and it was great fun, and so that's that was really why that book was written. It, it wasn't altruistic, really, at all. I was oh, boy, I'm going to help people, you know, I probably won't help people at all, uh, a couple people. are, uh, Lots of people who are addicts, you know, seem to be quite, tell me that they're helped by it. Um, but, you know, the whole thing, you know, it was I, 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 the first ambition in my sort of conditioned life as a child, is being very good at school and being very good at writing and wanting to be a writer. So now I'm, I'm just writing. I'm just writing a story now. I, I suppose non-dual themes are probably sneaking in there, but it's just, you know, a tale.
0: And you're referring now to the book you already wrote, um, Oh no! Oh, your your new book—the
1: the the book that I'm writing now—is just yeah. The the ultimate twist was all that therapy material, and it it is uh, autobiographical, but um, not completely. Mm -hmm. I had to change a lot of the um, the situations and issues because uh, I've got children of a sensitive age. Yeah,
0: right. And how about the new book? What's that about?
1: Oh, uh, well, it's about a washed-up child star who's going back to Hollywood for a comeback, and also about a man who's writing a screenplay. He's dropped out of a mundane job and moved to the South in an old, like like Tara, like an old uh, right. plantation, to to do so. And they stumble into one another, and they end up in Japan, and they end up in with this girl who's sort of a lost soul who's being chased by the people who used to have her captive and blah, blah, blah. And it's yeah. just like that.
0: Sounds exciting. And, and are you are you trying to weave some kind of uh, non-dual or spiritual theme into it, or is it just a story that's kind of cool and interesting to read?
1: Uh, I'm kind of trying not to, but I oh, think okay. seem to be sneaking in. And, <laughs> okay, uh, help yourself. <laughs> but that, uh, um, There's a quote, actually, I can never remember. My brain is not very good, really, about when you are committed, Providence moves to, I think it's uh, oh, yeah. attributed to Goethe, but it was right. paraphrased by somebody else.
0: Maybe Nelson Mandela or
1: somebody I don't know, I don't think so. But I, mean, I know it, what you mean, it's like, yeah, you, yeah, just, yeah.
0: you just go for it and everything's well, going to sort yep. of start.
1: When, so when there is doubt, when you're wavering, then there's this the chance to just let it all slip by, but when you're committed... Um, that all kinds of things come to help you that you would never thought possible and it ends up happening because in a way that you never would have dreamed of Mm -hmm. because you're committed and that's not necessarily a a belief system of mine but that is kind of behind the character's motivations in the book Mm -hmm. and I think that's fascinating that whole thing about I am going to do this blinkers, and you know, and, and the people do actually get a lot accomplished if that is their, you know, that's what they want to do when they're like that. So, and I'm sort of exploring that kind of energy.
0: And you haven't you found that yourself? I have. You, you just yeah, you, you commit absolutely. yourself to something, and all sorts of things begin to click.
1: Uh, indeed, but, you know, my conditioning is, is also along the lines of, well, you know, I'm not going to completely commit myself, you know, because I'm probably kind of rubbish and, you know, we <laughs> couldn't do it anyway. So, um, so that kind of conditioning comes up. But, you know, the voices in the head, the thoughts that arise, the things that happen, it doesn't necessarily mean um, that I pay much attention to them. Uh, it's, you know, I don't know what you'd, I'd call myself, just to... A lot more content than I used to be, but it—you know—I still get all kinds of—not of so much "you are shit" kind of messages, but more like, you know, "oh, you're not actually very competent in that, are you?" kind of things. That thoughts that come up. It's probably true, mind you, but. Uh, but you know, and, and all all kinds of ridiculous thoughts come up. My head thinks all kinds of crazy stuff. But you know what? You don't. I don't have to buy into it. I just kind of ignore it. It just kind of plays out. and It rolls away, and that's it.
0: Yeah, it's just that little devil on your left shoulder, you know. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> well it's like th- i mean that illustrates a nice point an interesting point which is that um and your video is working okay at the moment by the way uh, it, which is that uh o- an awakened person or whatever kind of terminology we want to use uh doesn't necessarily have qualitatively different kinds of thoughts than an, a non-awakened one it's just that they're no longer gripped by them to that extent you know
1: yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, I mean, I would put it. I just ignore my myself. <laughs> I just ignore my brain, and just get on with whatever I'm doing. You know, I yeah, don't but there was probably a
0: stage in your life where thoughts like that would have been so compelling and convincing, and uh, you know, commanding that you know you would have taken them as having a lot more um, gravity than you do
1: now. Oh, so true. Um, I think that. I'm sure this comes up for other people as well as me. These sort of thoughts that I'm no good, I am unworthy. The whole family of of I am unworthy thoughts. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sorry, my husband's yelling downstairs, because I guess England must have just scored a try against Wales in the rugby. Oh,
0: good.
1: (laughs) But, uh, oh gosh, I kind of lost that train of thought as well now.
0: Uh, We're talking about thoughts of unworthiness.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Now, this might be a, a, a trait of an addictive personality, but I had this sort of great grandiosity and very low self-esteem at the same time. And all those thoughts along the lines of, I am unworthy, uh, I'm I'm terrible, I don't deserve to live, I have no right to be here, those kind of thoughts were sort of generally stuffed down and repressed by the grandiose part of me that thought it was fantastic, wonderful, and amazing. <laughs> and uh, so... Uh, when I was going through therapy, and and you know people go through therapy in all kinds of ways. Often through just talking with their friends, and uh, uh, it, was a, it was I had to un to unleash all that. So for a while, when I was actually getting healthier, I was just I was just i thinking I'm terrible. How could I've done this? Blah 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 blah. I'm horrible. And I don't want to. You know I don't deserve to exist. I am a bad person. Uh, but I mean it sort of had to let the lid off that Pandora's box, and they all sort of flew away. And stop being having any power whatsoever. But you know, this isn't really, you know, non duality is just what seemed to happen to me. And it seems to happen to a lot of people in various kinds of practices that have to do with um, stripping away layers of the ego, whatever it is, whether it's Zen Buddhism or whether it's intensive psychotherapy.
0: Yeah. Well, that stripping away uh, layers of the ego is an important little phrase there to add on to what you just said because, I mean, it seems to me that if one is sort of solidly, concretely, predominantly convinced in one's experience that I am this person and that's all I am, then the, the kind of thoughts you were just talking about would have a lot of significance. You know, oh, I, all I am is this person and I'm a terrible one, and my life should end, and you know, blah, blah, blah. But if you know, if one kind of become comes to appreciate that, whoa, I'm much more than this small little tiny dot on the planet, that there's a much vaster reality, then how much gravity, how much, you know, impact can such thoughts have? It's almost like they're just kind of a <clears throat> a static left over from from something that you know, I don't know, not bad analogy there, but they're they're just kind of superficial noise, uh that still maybe habitually rides a bit on on the on a much vaster, uh, more significant uh, level of experience.
1: Yeah, um, my cosmos, Mac I suppose. Uh,
0: yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I suppose the whatever the thought is, even if it is, I rocked, I am so great. I mean, I don't really grip onto that either. I do occasionally have that kind of thought as well. Uh, probably more often than, than I used to, but, you know, it, none of it matters. None of it matters. And, uh, I don't know, um, what I am and what you are and the big I and the little I and the big, the, the uh, self spelled big S and self spelled the little S, and I, I've, you know, uh, some people are very comfortable with those kind of pointers, and I just, I don't know, I, I mean, I, I tend to think of, I'm more comfortable with the, uh, the pointer, or I resonate more with the idea of this one endless moment. This is it. This is all there ever is. Whatever it looks like, even if it seems a very small thing, or if it seems a really big thing, that's the same thing. Um, if you seem like you're contracted in a small self with a little s and this tiny I, Or you feel like you're everything, and you have no edges on your body, and you're like out of your body, and you're like so blissful, and you are everything. Um, If that's then, that's that's what it is. It it is, but it's the same thing. It is exactly the same thing. It just has a different face.
0: That's exactly what I was going to say when I heard you saying that. That it's the same thing. And, you know, it's like when you think about when you're – anyway, when I was in high school, I was so concerned about how I looked, how, how, how long my oh, hair – Oh, I still am. Uh, how long my hair was, you know, what other people thought of me, whether I was cool, this and that, you know, whether I was muscular or, you know. And, you know, these days it's like I can barely remember my age or, you know, <laughs> you know <laughs> have any sense of that that kind of stuff. It's, uh, maybe it's just a matter of maturation, but um, –
1: it's, Maybe it's a matter of gender. I don't know. Yeah, I still, still wonder about my looks, and you know. But no, it's, no, that's another thing that doesn't grip me. I enjoy making myself up, putting things under my eyes so you don't see the bags and the wrinkles so much, and this kind of thing. But I don't really care, you know. Yeah, it
0: could be a gender thing. I mean, Byron, Katie, and Gangaji both had plastic surgery. So what the hell?
1: Did they really? Oh yeah. well, no, I haven't had any of that yet. I had the veins done on my left leg, mm-hmm. uh, but it's mostly because they were very uncomfortable. Mm. And uh, but that's so you could I don't know I don't think that's plastic surgery. You could put me on that list if the veins <laughs> count.
0: Okay, <laughs> well, join the club. Yeah. So when after you had your awakening moment, um, did you feel like therapy had become superfluous, uh, or did you actually continue on with it for some time?
1: Yeah, I think you just had to. Um, I think the therapist and I needed to like have. A sort of a formula by which we came to a conclusion, and it was a, a bit after that, definitely. Um, and, but it was still text very occasionally.
0: Oh, yeah. And as I recall, your therapist had a sort of an appreciation of non-dual teachings or something.
1: Yeah, and well, just the therapist in the book isn't exactly like my therapist, and the relationship that the characters in my book had, the therapist and Lucy, is much juicier and more interesting in the very slow kind of you know thing that that went on in my therapy because it's you know my book's tiny and short and the therapy went on for ages you know i don't know 18 months once or twice a week well that's not so, so long compared to well the people i know but this was intense you know yeah. it was really intense <laughs> it wasn't just like let's have a chat and it was all very very you know emotional and each and every single time uh so no it, it went on for for a little while um, but because I think that that kind of therapy is going through just has a natural conclusion, and it that does take a certain amount of time.
0: I wonder if your therapy was somehow instrumental in bringing about the awakening you had, because um, you weren't just really just... doing spiritual practices. But no, that's, that's the main thing you were doing was that.
1: That's it. Well, I mean, it is. It, it wasn't to my pity on. It was a spiritual practice. Uh, yeah, it yeah. Turned out that it was. It, it was. Many of the same things, just with different techniques that people who are engaged in a very traditional, you know, meditative, um, guru-bound uh, um, teaching kind of relationship, it's the same, the same sort of things, the same sort of practices. Um, but, and often people get the same sort of practices in the kind of job that they have, or the, the discussions that they have with their friends, or the relationship they have with their parents, or, or that kind of thing. Um, it just, you know, it, it practice unfolds in, in many, many different ways. I don't know if it was instrumental, it's just how it seemed to happen in, in the story of my life.
0: Conducive to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that kind of reminds me of something you said earlier, which is that everything kind of seems to be orchestrated in our best interests, ultimately, even though it might seem um, undesirable at the time, it's uh, from the big picture looking back, if you will, um, you, you realize, oh, that was perfect, yeah, I, I really needed that, to go through that.
1: Uh, that's how it seems to me. I mean, I know there are people who have deeply unfulfilling lives from the day they're born and the day they die, and don't, you know, or spend their entire time as a subsistence farmer in Africa, shuffling, you know, miles every day just to get some water, mm-hmm. and, but, you know, that kind of a life could be okay, as long as you actually have your needs taken care of. That, that there's nothing wrong with that life, and, and practice can be the walk. Um, but I know there are some some people who you know do not have the whole microcosm and macrocosm of of their life, and, and many people have more of a job-like ex, you know existence, and many people are are victims for their the entire course of their lives. So as perhaps I, I don't like that. I wish that you know if I could change things, I would change that. But it's it's like in the big bigger picture of, of all lives you know um, that's where balance happens mm.
0: yeah I mean it kind of comes down to whether we understand or appreciate or believe that you know there is some divine intelligence that's orchestrating everything and whether that divine intelligence intelligence ultimately has the best interests of everything in mind and is kind of shepherding. Everything along toward higher and higher evolution, and you know things like that, which we is somewhat theoretical to discuss. Although some say that that's really their their experience of life, they can see those mechanics happening. Um, but it it certainly helps you to kind of come to terms with the, the the people in Africa or whoever you know that are going through such miserable lives that you can sort of see some ultimate cosmic uh, justification for it.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I do. I it probably doesn't actually resonate with me very much divine, intelligent, orchestrating everybody to higher consciousness. <laughs> I mean, I think that this is the higher consciousness. This is it. This is high, high as it gets. You know, it might seem to get higher and then that will be as high as it gets, but I don't, that doesn't sort of come into uh, the concepts that resonate with me, but, you know, a, a, life seems to be quite ordered, you know. This planet with life on it—I mean, there are certain rules of physics and biology that seem to happen. It seems quite ordered, uh, so there's certainly, you know, that I would buy into.
0: Yeah, so. there's some organizing intelligence apparently. Um, organi- that's what I mean when I say orchestrating. I don't—I don't sort of mean like a puppeteer who is. Yeah, yeah, in, yeah. In, in it, but. Uh, you know, you look at anything in, in on the Discovery Channel, whatever, some little story about what goes on inside a cell and you, it it's jaw dropping when
1: you it come. is yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh.
0: and also when you say this is as high as it gets um you know do you go to a, let's say a person who's psychotic in a mental hospital and say, you know this is as high as it gets <laughs> which which is sort of synonymous with this is as good as it gets um which reminds me of an old beer ad, but I won't go there but um <laughs> You know, or, or is, it, is there a possibility that that particular confused soul uh, has some kind of brighter future, you know, as they move along and straighten out and, you know, whatever, either this lifetime or future lifetimes. I mean, I don't want to get too esoteric about it, but mm-hmm. that, that could very well be the mechanics of the way the universe works.
1: Well, it's just our mind wanting it to make sense, you know. It doesn't it make is. sense. It isn't. Uh, you know, there's there's karma, There's there's... Rebirth you know to to take care of those people who have the crap life their whole lifetime, mm-hmm. and that's just you know, but that's just because the mind wants it all to make sense somehow, and uh I don't but know it, that
0: it could actually be the way it works though I mean sure, maybe. sure i
1: mean i don't i don't I don't particularly care, but you know yeah. <laughs> uh yeah it it certainly could it certainly could um, you know, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go to a men- mental hospital and say to a psychotic person, "This is as good as it gets." I'm not that that mean. <laughs> it makes me laugh. they like, "As yeah, good as it gets." Forget about it. Uh, no, I mean, but you know, you know how that unfolds. There's drugs. There's this and people try. Some people never get better, and they can just sort of be looked after. And then that's that's where the karma comes in, hopefully, yeah. in, in the next life. But but. Um, But, you know, just in the the one endless moment that's always now in which there appear to be psychotic people from time to time, uh, I suppose a different way that the mind can try to make sense of it is that they have a role to play. If there wasn't a psychotic person over here, you wouldn't understand that it's a sane person over here. So, uh, I mean, people sometimes in the the whole story of life have very difficult roles to play, and I just heard... um, Oh, was about six months ago, somebody I, I didn't know personally, but knew of, died uh, alone in the flat, in their vomit, in the feces, and, and the heroin overdose, and mm. quite, you know, quite surprisingly, this person had never been into that particular drug before, mm. and uh, also nobody really knew that they'd been dead for some days, because nobody, um, uh, they, he, they, they, he had alienated everybody, and nobody, you know, cared what happened to him anymore. And uh, so that, whoa, that is a difficult role to play. I mean, all the people that found out about that were, you know, learning lessons and having, you know, really think, oh, you know, then maybe that that could be me. That could be me. You know, mm. yeah. and uh, and they just have some people have a very difficult role to play. But you know, every role can potentially change. But it doesn't really matter. I mean, this is sort of a, a whole different train of thought than, than non-duality, I suppose. It, um, uh, as one small self and one contained ego and one personality, you know, we do so much to, to help others. Um, and I tend to try to do what I can with the handy and convenient people I actually live with. Mm-hmm. You know. And they actually need lots of of tending to, and take up a lot of my time and energy. So,
0: think globally, act locally. Yeah.
1: You
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you, there's some good points you brought out there. I mean, one is, if we're going to have a universe, it seems that we need to have duality in it, or you know, pairs of opposites. If we're going to have you know psychologically healthy people, we got to have psychotics. If we're going to have hot, we're going to ha- we have to have cold. And you know, if we're going to have fast, we have to have slow. Otherwise. Everything would be one amorphous blob with no distinctions within it.
1: Life <laughs> well, seems like that sometimes. Yeah. An amorphous blob with no distinctions. But, yeah, yeah no, that, I mean, I, I say this a lot. In a few talks I've given, it always comes up. There's nothing wrong with duality. I mean, you wouldn't know good if there wasn't evil to compare it to. Now, it's really unfortunate. But that is the case. And now someday it might be just the memory of evil. We can work for that. That's fine. But, you know, this is duality. I mean, this this is one. But in in order for there to be this uh, cup, this object that I'm picking up, there has to be, you know, the atoms have to be arranged a certain way. And there has to be a subject, an object, Mm -hmm. just to sort of get through life, regardless of what the actual reality is. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Th- there's a Sanskrit phrase, leisha um, vidya, which means faint remains of ignorance. And the um, implication is that no matter how, quote unquote, enlightened one becomes, there has to be a, a sort of a, some faint remains of, you know, con- concession with du- the dualistic world in order to actually function as a human being. Um, otherwise, you know, you lie down and die
1: realize <laughs> I mean, you' take care of yourself, <laughs> wouldn't you you, yeah. you, you get um, taken out with the garbage one morning, you know exactly it, yeah
0: and that thing you said about roles is kind of interesting too it. It kind of implies that we almost sign up for roles, and some people say it that way that we before coming into this life we choose to you know take on a certain um, destiny in order to teach lessons to ourselves or to others and so on. who knows i mean, it's it's kind of interesting to speculate. Um, go ahead, you were going to say something.
1: Uh, no, I don't think it was. Um, but, yeah, I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I understand um, why the c- the concept of reincarnation is believed by so many, many people. And I'm saying that, that I don't, actually. It, I mean, it, if you're trying, the mind is trying to make sense of things. And uh, signing up for a role beforehand, it's like, okay, I'm going to be a martyr this time. I'm going to, to be, have a terrible life uh, because somebody has to. And because I'm filling this bit of the energy with the terrible life, somebody over here is going to have the good life. So, and, but, and I like that idea. Maybe that is the way it works, but, you know, uh, maybe not, I don't know. Uh, but I, I like the idea. I can understand why it, it's an appealing concept. It really uh, it does seem to explain a lot
0: yeah I mean there's some people who say, well, in fact, Tony Parsons says there is no reincarnation because that implies that there would be someone to reincarnate, and there is no one um, okay. but that's the absolute view you know on a, on a relative level as we were just discussing um there is someone, even though ultimately if you boil that down to its essence it's it's nothing it's the it's the vacuum state or whatever but know you know so reincarnation may both be it may exist and at the same time. It 's an illusion, uh, yeah. and both can be true simultaneously
1: oh yeah, I, and I, that, I truly think that, that's, that that resonates with me anyway i 'm mm-hmm. um, right with with Tony Parsons it's, I mean I really the, the whole that everything is a complete illusion, and that nothing is happening really um, I, so I get that or you know I, I see that or i don 't know whatever the right way to put that is. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't matter whether there's reincarnation or not. It doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter whether there's heaven or hell. Um, everything is this. This is everything. and it, You know, there isn't this something in the future and the, the next life. You know, the future is speculation. Reincarnation is speculation. Uh, the past is memory, always. And the, the speculation is, is also a thought process. And all those thought processes always are happening here, now. And that's all there is. So, I mean, that that, that, that is, you know, I suppose that is, uh, I don't want to say anything that Tony Parsons says or that that's what he says, but I believe that is the, the gist of what he says, and then that deeply resonates. Mm-hmm. I mean, the story can be as interesting as you like. I mean, you can have angels talking to you, you, can, you know, oh, my God, I mean, you can have State's of bliss. You can float and levitate. You can, you can, uh, you know, you could, you know, on a more mundane level, you could up sticks and move to Australia. You know, you, the story can be as interesting as you like. Um, but you know, it's all the same thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, and again, physics would tell us that that you know it's all the same sort of primordial unmanifest state, just kind of giving rise to you know virtual appearances. Um, but it's all ultimately the same stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Well Rick, um, I've got a deadline coming up actually. Okay, well this is yeah? a good stopping point. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we have stopped and Bye. your videos about 20 times,
0: <laughs> good. Uh, um, so thanks, this has been fun, I've, I've enjoyed you know, talking to you and I think people will enjoy hearing this. Um, you want to make any concluding remarks or is that good what you just said?
1: Oh, I think that, um, oh, what I always say is that this is not necessarily to do with non duality but I think that many people, many little small s's, their tiny eyes, whatever, mm-hmm. are very hard on themselves, and all the, those thoughts of unworthiness we were talking about later, that's come up a lot, and people buy into them a lot, mm-hmm. and it upsets me. And uh, <laughs> I just want to say to everybody, you're perfect, exactly as you are, and it doesn't matter what the story of your life is, it's perfect. You are perfect as you are. It doesn't matter what the outcome are, the, the things of your life, and in this moment right now, everybody is just exactly as they are. They're perfect, gorgeous, unbelievable, miraculous, apparent creations. Everybody, and uh, I just love to see people being a little less hard on themselves.
0: Beautiful. So, in other words, lighten up.
1: Lighten up. Chill out.
0: <laughs> Great. So. Uh let me conclude. I've been talking with Suzanne Foxton who lives in the UK. Uh, Suzanne has a blog which I'll be linking to from my blog which is Boot at the Gas Pump or batgap.com um, and she also has some videos on YouTube which you can watch uh, if you search for Suzanne Foxton, I'm sure you'll see them. Um, she's written a book and I think is working on a second book so I'll be linking to that and you can send me a, you know the info, info on your new book when it comes out, I'll link to that as well. Um, If you would like to be notified of uh, future um, interviews that I do, and I do one a week, then you can either subscribe on YouTube or you can go to batgap.com, B-A-T-G-A-P, and sign up for an email newsletter there. You'll receive an email once a week or so when a new interview is posted. There's also a um, podcast you can sign up for if you want to listen to this on your iPod while you ride your horse or whatever you do. (laughs) So, thanks, Suzanne. Uh, It's been nice talking to you. Thanks, uh, Rick.
1: I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah, take care. You too.
0: Okay, bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye.